Go ahead and grab the study guide that's in your program. We are in week two of our series, My Big Fat Mouth, where we're just, you know, we're talking about how sometimes our words and what we say can get us in trouble. Last week we looked at James chapter one. Uh, but just to kind of start off to some examples of folks that maybe kind of have big mouths that have gotten them in trouble in the past. I have some up on the screen. Charlie Sheen, he's a great actor, right? It seems like every time he opens his mouth, he is just sticking his foot right in his mouth, right? Uh, how many Warrior fans? You like the Warriors, right? You recognize the guy in the middle. They watched the game last night. They did good. But if you're not a Warriors fan, you do not like Draymond Green, right? And he's a super power forward, but he's also one of the guys that gets the most technicals in the NBA. And it's not because he's rough. It's because he's chirping at the referees the whole game, right? You, you do know that one of his nicknames is the fastest mouth in the West. That's Draymond Green. He loves to talk. Roseanne Barr, to some of you who maybe a little younger don't recognize her. Do you guys remember when she sang the national anthem at the Padres game? Ooh, that got her in hot water, right? And then you've got bottom, bottom left, you got Kanye West. You remember his little ordeal there with, uh, during the awards there and Taylor Swift? And, uh, most people would agree whether, whether you wanted her to win the award or not. It was just rude and he just kind of, Talks himself into trouble a lot of time. If you're a staunch Republican, even if you voted for the president, most people would say, you know, his mouth kind of gets him in trouble, or at least his tweets get him in trouble a lot of times. And then, of course, I could have put so many different comedians up there. Uh, but Andrew Dice Clay was the first comedian who intentionally and aggressively used vulgar words to try and get a laugh. Uh, if you know my personality at all, you know I, I, I like to laugh, I enjoy humor. What's frustrating to me, go on Netflix, and 9 out of 10 comedians are, are very vulgar nowadays in their language. Honestly, in my opinion, just my opinion, it's cheap humor to drop an F-bomb and, and assume that that's just going to get you a laugh. Now, real quick, before we uh, move on, if you look at the uh, folks on the screen, I've got a question for you. Uh, are you like these folks in any way? Uh, be careful. Some of you answering a little too quick. Careful. You know, absolutely not. Not me. Right. Uh, you you want to know what this book says to that to that question? Are we like the folks on the screen? The answer is more than we think. More than we think we, we would we don't want to think of ourselves as someone who's got a potty mouth or someone who who's our, our mouth is getting us in trouble. But more than we think. Right. Because we always think of the best of ourselves. We, we always think of the good conversations. But that small percentage of time when we're saying things uh, or, or we're saying them in a certain way that is hurtful or inappropriate. Um, those we kind of tend to forget. And so that's what this series is, is about. It's for all of us to make sure we're all aware of this. Now, uh, last week we looked at James 1. If you look at your study guide, today we're looking at the Ten Commandments. I don't know if you realize this, uh, but at least three of the ten deal specifically with how we speak. Three of God's top ten, right? And we, we listed them for you on the front side of the study guide, mainly because we had an extra page. The, the one that we're highlighting is what we're going to cover. So what I want you to do is turn to page number two. The first commandment that we're going to uh, talk about is verse 7. It talks about not misusing God's name. Don't misuse God's name, okay? Um, verse 7 reads, You shall not, Exodus 20, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, if you have your study guides, there's three questions we're going to answer quickly. Why, who, how? First question, why? Why is using God's name in a certain way such a big deal? Honestly, it's cultural. 
in our day and age, you know, if a couple has a baby, you know, I want to call her a cool name. I want to call him a cool name. We just kind of pick names we like, right? Uh, or actors or athletes or whoever, people we like. Back in the days of Jesus, a, a name from a cultural standpoint carried a different weight. When you used someone's name, it, tend, it tended to reference who they were as an individual, right? It referenced their character, their authority, their reputation. It's why people in the Bible, have you noticed this as you're reading the stories, halfway through their life, they change their name. Have you noticed that? We don't do that in our day and age because culturally that's just kind of not what we do. But in that day and age, if, if who you were as a person or what your life represented, if that changed, well, let's change your name. That's what they, how they just kind of lived back then. And so it's not just the name of God or Jesus. It's anyone's name in that. You better be careful how you use people's names. And again, culturally for us, a little bit different. Now, when we use the name of Jesus and when we use the name of God and we don't do it in a way that's honorable, whether you realize it or not from this perspective, we're, we're in a way besmirging his character or his reputation or his authority. And that's the issue. That's what, what this command is, is getting out after. Now, who misuses God's name? Three types of people that misuse God's name. The unsaved, the undisciplined, the uninformed. Let's take the first one. Have, have you ever been in the office with someone, watching a sporting event with someone, uh, going golfing with someone, and, and they use God's name in vain? Have you ever had that happen, right? Uh, when, you know, when I, I think it's fun. When I go golfing, and, you know, hole one and two is just chit-chat with folks. And, you know, every once in a while I'm golfing with someone I don't know, and, and they're just cussing up a storm, right? First goal, couple holes, it's chit-chat. Hole number three, we're chit-chatting about family. Hole number four, it seems like we always get to, well, what do you do for work? Right? Oh, someone, I work at Chevron. What do you do? Well, I'm a pastor. And from that moment on, every time they cuss, they look at me, I'm sorry, pastor. Sorry. And I'm like, I forgive you. I just... All right, let us go. You know, um, it bothers me when people use the name of Christ in, in, in a way that they shouldn't. But I, I got a question for you. Why does it surprise you that they do that? Honestly, I'm surprised that you're so surprised. They aren't Christians because their hearts haven't been redeemed. They haven't been transformed. The name of Jesus doesn't mean for them what it means for us. So why does it surprise you when they use his name or the name of God in a way that's not very reverential? Furthermore, let me also add, some of us Christians uh, find or feel like it's almost our obligation to kind of stand up for Jesus. And we have our little ways of correcting them. Or saying little things to kind of let them know we're not happy about how you just use the name of Jesus. And I want to ask you, if you do that, do you think that helps them take their next step closer to Jesus? Because my opinion is that as much as it bothers me, if I were to go out of my way to correct everyone that does that, not only does it not help them take their next step closer to Jesus, it actually helps them take their next step further away from Jesus because their impression of Christians is here they go again, correcting me. I'm just saying, think that through. But also just understand, you can't expect something from someone if their heart isn't redeemed. I don't like it either, okay? The second one is the un, uh, undisciplined. That's when we know better, but it slips out. And that's for a lot of us with a lot of words or things that we say, right? It, it kind of slips out. We've got to work on our self-control. We've got to work on our discipline when we're frustrated or angry, uh, undisciplined. Now, I'm going I'm to give you the benefit of the doubt that if we're saying things 
uh, especially in this category, well, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt that maybe it's this last category, the uninformed. Maybe some of us don't realize that how we're using the name of God or Jesus might be something we need to rethink. Okay. Now to, to, to understand that, you know, for example, I remember I must have been six years old. I was young. My dad worked on a Saturday, so he was never at home on Saturday morning. But this one particular Saturday, he was home. And I remember this one. So he makes French toast. He makes bacon. We were having a great time. The family, we were all eating. You know, my mom, my sister was there. She's younger than I am. Afterwards, I don't know what I did, but I was goofing off with him. I think I was flicking his ear or something. He got up. We started wrestling uh, uh, right by there by the, the kitchen table. And I'm six. I'm seven. So it doesn't take my dad that long to pin me. Right. And he's like, say, Uncle Dave, say, Uncle. Right. Well, I decided instead of saying uncle, I decided to call him a word that I'd heard all the cool kids at school saying to each other. Yeah. Okay. As soon as I said that he jumped off of me like he'd been electrocuted. He sucked all the oxygen out of the room. Right. Before that, the parakeet was chirping and the dog was barking and my sister was laughing and my mom was cheering. The minute I said that word, the dog stopped barking, the bird stopped chirping. My mom stopped laughing. I still remember to this day, my sister started crying. She was younger than I was. She didn't know what was going on, but I think she had this impression. My brother's going to die. He's going to die right now. <laughs> right? Because of what I said to my dad. And uh, now it was from a parenting standpoint, I think they handled it fairly well. They did not punish and discipline me. You know why? It very quickly they discovered I had no clue what I'd said. I had no idea what that word meant. I just said it because the cool kids were saying it and I wanted to be cool. I thought it'd be funny too, right? So they, they, while I didn't understand that word, very quickly they helped me understand that if I say it again, right, I might die, right? I might have to find somewhere else to live. I think some of us fall into that category. We're just uninformed. We don't realize in some cases we're using the name of God in a way that might be problematic. Now, let me show you how we misuse God's name. It's the last one that I really want to draw your attention to. So there's three things. Number one, when we cop out. So in your study guide, I've given you all the references you can look up, but Leviticus 19 talks about don't make a promise in the name of, of God and then back out on it. We don't do that as much in our days. Maybe we do it like at, a, at the courthouse when we kind of put our, na- our hand on the Bible and that kind of thing. The, the closest we get to it, honestly, is Sunday morning. Right at the end of the message when the pastor says, okay, you take a moment with your God, you figure out what promise you want to make to him based upon what you learned this morning. If you and I back out on that, it kind of sort of fits into this category. So if you're going to make a promise in the name of God or to God, you break that promise, you're dealing with this command. The the second one is when we use profanity and we cuss, especially when we use the name of God and add the word damn to it. It is so contrary to the character of God. Speaking to someone else with that phrase and asking God to damn them for all eternity, to separate them from the love of Jesus is so contrary to who God is. That's why it is is such a big deal and so vile to God. I would hope you know better, okay? And if it's still slipping out, you gotta work extra hard on this, right? It's this last one I wanna talk to you about a little bit more because I, I think it's this last one. It's not copying out, it's not cussing. It's a casual use of the name of God or Jesus 
that I surprisingly hear a number of Christians do, right? And I'm not that cop pastor that's going to correct you every time something happens. I just, I don't want to be that guy, right? But I hear this. And let me give you some examples so you understand what I'm talking about. You go out to a steakhouse, right? Normally you don't go to a steakhouse, but you go to a nice expensive steakhouse and you get, you get a nice ribeye or a T-bone or something, right? And you're eating, you're eating it. And, and, and in, the, in the midst of eating that, you turn to the person you're with and you say this. God, this is a great piece of meat. Or you go outside and you look up into the sky and you say, God, it's a beautiful day out. Or you get in your car and you're driving and someone cuts you off and you got to swerve to avoid them. And then you say, Jesus Christ, that was close. Come on, pastor, I. I don't mean it in a way to to make God feel bad. I don't I don't I don't mean anything by it. And that's my point. You don't mean anything by it. You're you start to use the name of Jesus or God as an adjective or as an exclamation point or as a way to make emphasis that what you say you really mean. And what I'm telling you is that is squarely right in this category of using the name of God in a way you ought not. Now, why, why am I bringing this up to you? Not only is it, it's one of top 10, God's top 10 commands. But what I, I don't, re, I think we realize when you look at Exodus 20, it's not just 10 statements. Most of those verses, they're like four or five sentences. And in this case, it's not just don't use the, the, the name of Jesus and Lord, your God's name vain, in a vain way. It adds something. Let me show you what I mean. Let's put it up on the screen. Exodus chapter 20, the whole command. You must not misuse the name of the Lord, your God. Now, look at the Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. So you've got to be so careful in this category. Now, I told you last week, a lot, a lot of what scripture talks about when it says about our mouths is what not to say. And don't say this and don't say that and don't say this and don't say that. I want to also tell you how, in these cases, how to use the name of God, the name of Jesus in a way that is positive and that is helpful. There's three things I want you to write down. Number one, worship his name, worship his name. We're going to sing a new song uh, at the end of our service that talks about this. Listen for that phrase, worship the name of Christ. First Chronicles, you can look it up on your own. It says ascribe to the Lord glory or reputation that is due his name. Now, when I say worship his name, I don't just mean first half of church. That certainly is included, but it's so much more. I also mean when you walk out these doors. I also mean when you go to school tomorrow. I also mean when you go to the office tomorrow. You go, well, what, what am I like, to, supposed to sing worship songs at, at work? No, don't do that. Here's, here's kind of what it sounds like. Watch. You start talking to one of your coworkers, and you can tell they're really, they're really stressed. And so you start listening, well, what's going on, girl? And they go, oh, I've got this issue in that home, and i got that issue with my finances. And I'm just so stressed out. Here it comes. Now here comes your turn. You know, when I used to go through those things, I, I used to feel the same way you do. I'm so grateful Jesus has helped me handle my stress in a different way. And then shut up. What did you just do? You ascribed to Jesus glory, reputation that is due his name. You've helped someone else understand. Jesus is not just about fire insurance on the other side of death. Jesus helps you today. He helps your stress. 
He helps your marriage. He helps how you handle finances. He helps how you deal with kids. That's the, that's the whole point. It's not just for the afterlife. It's for now as well. That's what I mean by worship his name. That's why Chronicles talks about ascribing to him glory, which means reputation. Enhance his reputation. The second is live up to his name. Live up to his name. Paul says in Colossians 3, whatever you do and whatever you say, do it in the name of Jesus. In other words, you should reflect the character, the reputation of the one that you say you worship and follow. You, you do know the biggest issue with most people in terms of why they don't come to Jesus is Christians. You know that, right? Because that's what every study says. It's not that they're against Jesus. It's that they look at us and they go, well, if that's what it means to be a follower of Christ, why would I want to? Now, you got to be careful because I, I, you could flip it right around, right? The, the issue is not that we're perfect. The issue is that we're trying to change our lives. So it's not, it's not just on us. They have to make a decision as well. Having said that, question, do you live up to the name of Jesus? Are you working at that? Are you striving for that? Because if we want to be known as a Christian, that should be a big part of who we are and trying to live up to that. And the last one is be saved by his name. Nothing would make me happier as a pastor if you chose to do that. And in a room this size, I, there's at least 10 of us. You know, Acts chapter four says there is no other name under heaven and earth that anyone will be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean you pray a magic prayer and say the name of Jesus seven times and wow, you're in. It doesn't say that. Remember, the name represents the life of someone, the character of someone, what they represent, what they did. And in this case, it's the life of Jesus Christ. Only his name, only his name gets you into heaven. That's it. So if you've not trusted in the name and in the person of Jesus Christ, the scripture says that continuously. So step number one, make sure you don't misuse the name of Jesus. The second one, don't disrespect your parents. Don't disrespect your parents. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, we're told to honor our parents and to respect them. Okay. Now, uh, I don't know. Maybe you don't, you didn't realize this has to do with your, your, your mouth and how you speak. And I would say, well, what, what do you think it ta it's talking about? There's only two ways you respect or disrespect someone. And in this case, your parents, it's either in what you do or what you say. This, this command has a whole lot to do with the words that are coming out of my mouth. Okay. Now, again, most of the study guide, it's just to give you context. So for example, uh, on, on that page, we have the question, why should I honor my parents? You see it up on the screen. Three reasons. Colossians three, because it pleases God. First Timothy five, because it's the right thing to do. And Ephesians six, because you get a prize. Well, I want a prize, right? It's interesting when you read the commands every once in a while, he says, just do it. No, no, I just want you to do it. And in this one, he says, I want you to do it. And if you do it, you get a prize. It's right in Exodus 20. And Paul mentions it in Ephesians six. Let me read it to you. Verses two and three, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment. Here it comes with a promise, with a prize. Here comes the prize so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Now, most pastors and theologians don't completely agree on what exactly that means. But everyone agrees that there is some prize, some promise that is given to you if you follow through on this command. That's all I need to know. 
How about you? Honor your parents, respect your parents, and God's going to help you out some way, somehow. I'll take it. I'll take it. So that's just kind of motivation. Now, some people always ask, and so let's get into it before we talk specifically about our mouth. How? How do we honor and respect our parents? The, the answer is it depends on your age. Let me show you what I mean. Let's put it on the screen. If you're a child, how do you respect and, 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 and honor your parents? By obeying. So if you're living at home and you're under the age of 17, you know, 18, it doesn't matter if you agree with them. Short of, you know, unless they're telling you something to do that's immoral, you, that's one way you honor your parents is by obeying, okay? Um, if you're a young adult, right, the way you honor and respect your parents is by cooperating. It's the relationship that I have with my, my daughter, Jessica. She's now in, in third year in college. You know, I don't tell her what to wear. I don't double check and make sure she ate her vegetables. I don't give her a bedtime, nor would I want to. My relationship with her has changed. Now, there's still this back and forth cooperating because I'm still paying for college and I'm still paying for the insurance. And there's so there's that, a little bit of that back and forth. But she's a young woman and she's on her own. And I, as a dad, I love that. I want her to. Hey, that's part of life is learning and practicing to be able to kind of make it on your own. Right. So there's this kind of cooperation back and forth. Now, if you're an adult. Right. Most of us in here, we're adults. How do we relate to our parents in a way that's honoring and respectful. And the answer is that you help them. You know how it is when as life goes on, your relationship with your parents, there's ebbs and flows. And at some point in time, it reverses and you now start becoming the helper and even at some point in time caretaker. Right. And life just changes. Now, some of the question, one of the questions that it seems like it always comes up is what if you're an adult living at home? Because that's happening a lot more nowadays. By the way, do you want to know sociologically why it's happening? The answer, sociologists tell us, is because people are getting married later and later in life. And so there's not that, that, you know, you don't move out that quick. So what if you're an adult, but you're still living at home? Well, let me just kind of give you a principle, and I can back it up uh, biblically if you want. But the, the principle is this. The principle is that if mom and dad are still paying the bills, if they're still paying the mortgage, if they're still paying for most of the groceries, if they're paying the cable bill, if they're paying the electric bill, if mom and dad are still paying the bills and it's their house, then they still get to make some rules. Well, that's not fair. I'm, st I'm an adult. Well, then maybe you should get your own place. Somebody, the parents are like, say that again, Dave, say that one, one more time. <laughs> You know, it's, you know, it's, there's a challenge there. There's a little bit of a tension. The tension is actually healthy. You know that, right? Because as you grow in age, you want to have that independence, but there's that challenge if you're home. And so you're going to have to work it through with your, your folks. And there's not a perfect answer, but that's the direction that you kind of have to, to, to think through. Now, Proverbs chapter 23, verse 22 from the message. I think we have it. We'll put it on the screen. It says this, listen with respect to the father who raised you. And when your mother grows old, don't neglect her. I think through and plan out several months in advance the topics we're going to be covering. And I knew I was going to cover this. And, and so, you know, I'm always just aware of illustrations I can use or things that I can, you know, something in my devotional that I can apply to this. And it was interesting because this was on my radar in the last month or so, I was aware of how fo people were talking to their parents. 
and in particular adults, right? Um, I saw this disrespecting elderly parents or older parents in the supermarket, at the gas station, at school, at church, in parking lots, and it blew my mind. Speaking to our elderly parents in a way that was condescending, in a way that was impatient, hurry up, mom, in a way that was angry, in a way that was demeaning, in a way that was hurtful. You know, that verse, clearly there's communication going on. That's the half part, the first half. It's talking about listening with respect to your father. So there's a conversation going on back and forth. So there's there's language happening. What catches my attention about the second half of the verse is the word when. When your mother grows old, not if, when your mother grows old. As I advance in years and as I talk to people older than I am, this is what they've told me, right? Here's what they've told me. Listen carefully. Eventually, your eyes don't work as good as they used to. Your ears don't work as good as they used to. Your back doesn't work as good as it used to. Your knees don't work as good as it used to. And sometimes even your mind doesn't work as good as it used to. And so I want to say to those of us who maybe have parents that are older than us, give them a break. Give them a break. They don't move as fast. And I don't know about you, but when I'm not feeling healthy, when I have a headache, I'm a little grumpy. How about you? And when you got aches and pains, you know what? Maybe give them a little bit of slack. Chill just a little bit. Why? Because the commandment says respect them, honor them, irrespective of what or how they're behaving. Okay? Let me, again, I just want, I want to give you some positive things to do and to say. So let me give you five real quick ones. Number one is appreciate them. Find something, anything good that they've done and thank them. Anything. Just say thank you. It could be something they just did or something they did years ago. Thank you. You know what? I appreciate that. Say something. Okay? doesn't mean you have to like everything they're doing or have a perfect relationship with them. I'm telling you how you can honor your God by following this command. Appreciate them. Second of all is uplift them. Say something encouraging. Something encouraging. The third one is advise them. Again, you have to be careful. Make sure we, you know, no one takes advantage of mom or dad and they get to a certain age and sometimes that happens and there's a little bit of confusion or so. You got to be careful and tactful when you give advice to your parents, right? Because sometimes moms and dads have a difficult time transitioning and understanding what's happening, but that's part of honoring them in your language. The next one is the flip side of the same coin. It's ask them for counsel. Ask them for advice. I was talking to an elderly um, gentleman a while back. And he says, you want to know one of the worst parts of growing old? He said, some people put you out to pasture. And by that, that's a reference to, you know, some people, they, they just, you know, they kind of think I'm too old to be helpful. I'm too old to be, you know, uh, to give advice. I'm just too old to kind of, you know, be part of what's going on. Just put them out to pasture, right? One of the best ways you can honor your parents is to ask them for advice. It makes them feel 
part of life. It makes them feel part of your life. You don't have to do what they tell you or advise you, but it could be, it'd be, ask them about the career thing you're going through. Ask them about the financial thing, the parenting thing. Ask them about the decision you're, just ask them, what do you think about? Just listen, shut up and listen. It let, allows them to be part of life and feel like they're still contributing. And by the way, they can contribute. There is something to be said is that when you go around the blocks a few times and you have some experience, you do have something to add. Okay. So I would just, that's a a one way you can honor them in language. Okay. And the last one is, is maybe probably the most important one. And also the most difficult one is to witness to them. Nothing is more important than the condition of their soul. It's incredibly hard sometimes to witness to a mom and the dad. Um, Sometimes the best person to witness to them is someone who's not family. I know that right? But don't ignore that. It's so important. Figure out a way. I have a friend that was able to witness to their dying dad. And one week before they died, that dad accepted Christ as their savior. And I can't tell you what that means. I just, you got to figure out a way. Okay. Let's put the next slide up there. So, so far we've said, talked about, don't misuse the, 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 the name of the Lord. Don't disrespect your parents. The third one is don't lie. Don't deceive, okay? Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, here's how the Ten Commandments says it there. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, okay? Now, I have some statistics for you, right? 91% of us lie on a regular basis. I came across this one story. I thought it was like a throwaway story. Like, is there a point to this? The guy who invented uh, the lie detector, he did this research. You know what he concluded? People lie. I was like, really? That's the research? People lie? I could have told you that. <laughs> People lie. Okay. Here's, what I, here's a, who lies more. Men lie more than women. Young men lie more than older men. Catholics lie more than Protestants. <laughs> but both of us, Catholics and Protestants, lie more than Jews. There you go. Unemployed people lie more than those with jobs. Right? Uh, this was interesting. Cat lovers lie 40% more than dog lovers. Isn't that interesting? Actually, that's a lie. I just made that. (laughs) My big fat mouth's getting me in trouble as I preach. (laughs) Two-thirds of Americans. Okay, now let me get back to the real research. Two-thirds of Americans actually believe there's nothing wrong with saying a lie. In fact, part of becoming a grown-up and mature, part of advancing in life, you got to learn how to lie. That's the way you're going to get a promotion. That's the way you're going to get the boyfriend, the girlfriend. That's the way you got to learn how to lie. You want to make some money? You got to learn to lie on your taxes, right? Oh, that was, sorry. That was way too close to home. I apologize. (laughs) The problem with that is that God says there's a problem with lying. So be very careful that this is not about someone else. I want to give you a list of lies and I'm going to ask you in advance, which one of these do you gravitate toward? Let me show you. Let's put it on the screen. Now, the first one, I don't, I didn't get in the study guide. That was my fault. Uh, But I want you to write in the word convenient lie, write that one at the top. That's the first one. What's a convenient lie? That's why something within you goes, "I, I don't have the energy. I don't have the time to explain it. So it's just easier for me to lie. Some of us parents do that with our younger kids. Ugh, I just don't want to, I just going to lie. Some of us do it with our boss. It's, conven- it's just convenient. Lie. 
right? The next one is the cruel lie. This is malicious, hurtful, intentionally destructive. This happens in high school sometimes. You seen that happen? That happens in the office when someone stabs someone else in the back. It's, it's intentional to try and hurt them. It happens in the book of Genesis. Some of you will know the story where Mrs. Potiphar makes up a very cruel lie about a young man by the name of Joseph. It results in Joseph being thrown in prison for years. Some people are, are very cruel and intentional with the words they say. The next one is the, the cowardly lie. We say this to avoid consequences. We say this to avoid punishment. So we, we all learn it. Come on, come on. We've all done it. Every single one of us with mom and dad when we were young. We were playing in the living room. We know we shouldn't have. We were playing in their room. They told us not to and something got broken. And then they found out. And what did we do? We threw our sister under the bus. It was her item. We want to avoid the punishment, right? And some of us grow up and we realize that we can use that same skill at work and we can use that same skill with the police. And so, so we say things and we make up stuff because we don't want to get in trouble. If we tell the truth, we're going to get in trouble. We don't want that. It's the cowardly lie. The next one is the conceited lie. That's when we say things to make ourselves look better. It's interesting. Have you noticed our stories about ourselves get better and better over the years? Have you noticed that? Our stories about how good of an athlete we were in high school. Man, we're a much better basketball player now than we were then. Our stories about our accomplishment at work gets better and better and better. Our stories about our kids and our family gets better and better and better. You know what uh, psychologists tell us? This is very interesting. They've studied what lying does to our brain. And they've discovered that the longer you tell the lie, at some point in time, something happens in your brain, you actually start believing it's true. You don't even think it's a lie anymore. It's the chemistry of the brain. It's what happens when you lie. It's interesting from a theological perspective, when we say conceited lies, it's not normally because we're prideful. It's normally because we're insecure. We're not comfortable in our own skin and someone else seems to have a better life than ours. And so we kind of talk up our stories because something inside of us doesn't feel comfortable with who we are. And we, that's, a, that's a sign of maturity to learn to be comfortable in your own skin, be comfortable in what you've accomplished and what you do for work and where you live and the kind of car you drive and be comfortable who God made you to be. It's part of maturity. The next one is the, um, the careless lie. You don't know any better. You're just repeating what you heard from someone else. You don't realize that what someone else told you was untrue. So now you're just, you're lying almost by accident. This happens a lot with gossip. By the way, just heads up, next week, I'm talking about gossip. So if you have some juicy gossip, get it out of your system this week because next week you'll be convicted. I'm just telling you. So. You don't have a lot of pastors to help you out that way. I'm just trying to be here for you. The next one is the calculated lie. Here you're, you know, this is the, this is the salesperson that makes things up about their product because they're trying to get a sale. It, it, it's manipulating, it's controlling, you're trying to get ahead. I heard of a farmer who kind of did this. Um, people were, he, he had, he, people were stealing his melons at night he didn't know if it was some high schoolers coming by and taking, stealing a couple melons every night. And he was getting so frustrated. So he decided to, to put up a sign with a big skull and crossbones, right? 
And he wrote the following message. One of these melons is poisoned. Now, he knew it wasn't true. He knew it was a lie. But he said it. He wrote it anyway, right? And it worked. It worked. No one took his melons anymore for like two, three days. No one was stealing his melons. Except a week later, someone saw the chain, uh, saw the, 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 the sign and changed the word one. And now the sign read, two of these melons are poisoned. Shoot. You know, a little lie is like being a little bit pregnant. I mean, like, oh, I like that one. I don't like a little bit like that. Eventually, it's going to come to the surface. Eventually, we're going to tell. Now, as soon as I say that, some of you right here are thinking, no, it won't. Because I've been lying to my spouse for years. I've been lying to my parents for years. They don't know. I've been lying to my boss for years. When I say that it will come to the surface, let me be very, very clear. What I mean biblically is that when it comes to your relationship with God, it will always, always come to the surface and it will always impact you every single time. Now, whether you realize it or not, even though your spouse doesn't know what you're doing, and you're being deceitful, I'm telling you, it's affecting your marriage whether you realize it or not. It's affecting your work whether you realize it or not. It's affecting your relationship with your parents whether you realize it or not. It always, every single time, impacts you. Every time. My motivation here, really, this last little section, is to motivate you to not lie. Whichever, and we all, gra- remember I, told, I asked you, which one of these do you gravitate towards? We all gravitate towards one or the other. Let's not self-righteously think this is for someone else. It's for every one of us. So what's our motivation to clean this up? What's our motivation to get it right? Last five things. Let's wrap it up with this. Number one is consider the source. Consider the source. John chapter 8 verse 44 tells us that Satan is called the father of lies. Someone has seen that and has commented, we are never more like Satan than when we lie. Think about that. We are never more like Satan than when we lie. You know, Satan's strategy with me and with you, he wants me to say a lie. Then he wants me to believe that lie. And eventually he wants me to live that lie. You're here because you want to be like Christ. And I'm telling you, you're more like Satan when you lie than you realize. That alone should motivate you. Second is realize how serious it is. Realize how serious it is. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22. Proverbs 12, 22. God lists seven things that he hates. Lying is one of them. You know, there's some Christians that believe that all sin is the same. That's incorrect. It's from a practical standpoint, that is inaccurate. Now, if what you mean is that all sin, any sin separates you from God, that is correct. Whether it's murder or stealing a piece of gum, you don't have, that separates you from God. But don't tell me and don't believe in your wildest dreams that every single sin is the same from a practical standpoint. That's not true. They all have different consequences. You know that instinctively. And I'm telling you, you know, hate is a word you use very, very, you got to be very careful when you use that word. God says, I hate lying. I hate it. It's interesting. I put your re- a reference there. Acts chapter five, verses one through 10. That's a story of a couple 
that lied. You guys know that story? Ananias and Sapphira, they lied. Do you know what happened to them? God killed them. By the way, do you know when they lied? During offering time. I often, I, I've wondered, if that happened at Bay Hills just once, just once, someone keeled over during first service during offering, right? Our offerings would just skyrocket. People would be like, okay, whatever you want, God. I'm not saying I'm wishing for that. I'm just making a comment. The next one, understand how lying impacts relationships. There's a story about a guy in the Old Testament. His name was Jacob. And he was the ultimate deceiver. He was the ultimate liar. And when you read his story, if you have the time, his line impacted his family for several generations. It always impacts family. It always impacts friendships. It always impacts relationships. Most importantly, the reference I gave you from the book of Psalms is that when I lie, whether I'm lying to God or I'm lying to you, it impacts my relationship with him. So I'm telling you that so that it would be a motivator to get control in this area. Okay. The next one is check your heart. Check your heart. Um, did you guys ever have your parents wash your mouth out with soap? You ever had that? That's old school parenting, right? Today it's like have a timeout. Back in the day, my day, not so much, right? I had my mouth washed out with soap once because I sassed my mom. Remember that? Don't sass your mom. I sassed my mom, had my mouth washed out with soap. You know, when you see what Jesus says in, in Matthew 12, if you and I have an issue with what we say, the solution isn't, to wash your mouth. The solution is to wash your heart. Jesus says what comes out of your mouth is nothing more than a reflection of what's already in your heart. So do a self-diagnosis. If you're sassing people, if you're cussing, if you're being disrespectful to parents, if you're lying, whatever it is, whatever your issue is, go, go to the source. There's something going on in your heart, in your soul that you've got to confess and you've got to fix. Check your heart. Do a self-diagnosis. And the last one is speak truth lovingly but tactfully. I used to, I, I, not used, I have a friend. He used to be at this church. He moved away a long time ago. And he was the kind of guy that would go up to people left and right and be, you know, telling them things. And he'd always be creating these little fires everywhere he went by the conversations he had. And, and, and I, I said something to him. He goes, I'm just speaking truth. I, I, I know, but Ephesians says, speak the truth in love. Moreover, it doesn't necessarily speak, says speak all the truth. One of the things we need to understand is that everything we say must be true. But everything that is true doesn't necessarily need to be said. Let me say that one more time because some of you need to hear it again. Everything we say must be true. But everything that is true shouldn't necessarily be said. If you see someone here and you don't like the way they're dressed, if you, th if you think their hair looks funny, going up to them and telling them is not helpful or healthy. I mean, you and I can talk about it behind their back and laugh, but going up to them <laughs> is not mature, right? And that's a stupid example, but you take it to the next level when it comes to life relationships, right? Don't, you don't have to say everything that's true. It's not helpful. It's not healthy. Last summary slide. Don't waste the last 35 minutes of your life. Which one of these do you most need to work on? 
Are you misusing the name of God? I'm going to have the band come up as we're going over this. Are you misusing the name of God? And maybe we talked about some things. And you're like, I didn't realize that. I need to change that. Or think through how you talked to your parents this last month. If we put that recording on the screen, would you be proud of it or would you be embarrassed by it? Third, don't lie, don't deceive. I want you to take a moment. I want you to find the one thing. What one thing are you going to work on? And I want you to commit that to God. Find it on the screen. Let's pray. Take a moment. Make whatever commitment you're going to make. Heavenly Father, set a guard over our mouths. Heavenly Father, help us put a muzzle on our tongues and the words we speak. We went over three things today. How we use the name of Jesus and your name, Father. The words and the tone and the things we say to our parents. And how truthful we are or deceitful. Father, help us control that. Give us strength, power, and discipline to work on it this week. We love you and we thank you for how practical your word is. In Jesus' name.